Hello friends and welcome back to Swimming and Singing. I'm Sarah Nelson, a certified yoga therapist and yoga teacher working online with people who think they are too tired, too busy, too anxious, too old, or in too much pain to do yoga. I use the traditional practices of yoga along with modern technology to help you create a more easeful and joyful life. If that sparks your interest, head on over to my website and grab the free guide to creating a yoga habit for exhausted perfectionists. The name of my podcast comes from a beloved poem written by Gregory Orr and is a reminder that some days it's all we can do to tread water and then other days there is room for joy. This podcast aims to share practices for both types of days. The Swimming and Singing podcast is brought to you by the Homecoming Online Membership, where I help people just like you find more calm, ease, and joy amidst the ups and downs of life. I am excited to share that the Homecoming Membership will be having a flash sale on July 25th, 2023, and will be open for one day to new members get on the wait list to grab an extra special bonus if you join. The link is in the show notes to get on the wait list and for more info about the membership. In today's episode, I chat with Nick Danu. Nick Danu is a yoga therapist, yin yoga teacher trainer, and mentor to yoga teachers. Nick lives in the enchanted city of Victoria on magical Vancouver Island, where she teaches public therapeutic yoga to yoga misfits, the Gen Xers, and sometimes Y, who don't feel at home in mainstream yoga circles, alternative folks, rebels, underdogs, punks, introverts, geeks, and bookworms. Nick's therapeutic specialties are back pain and anxiety relief. Nick and I attended the same yoga therapy training program on Vancouver Island, and when I wanted to interview someone about yin yoga, Nick was my first choice due to the therapeutic nature of how she shares yin. And she talks a little bit more about that in this interview. We also chat about what yin yoga is, how it's connected to traditional Chinese medicine, why it's great for combating back pain, and so much more. I'm really excited for you to listen in. Just a reminder, this podcast is for inspiration and information and does not replace medical care or advice. I am not a licensed healthcare professional or mental health therapist. Not all practices discussed on this podcast will be suitable or accessible to everybody, but I hope that you find something that resonates and can bring a bit more ease and joy into your life. Let's get to it. Hi, Nick. Welcome to Swimming and Singing. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. It's so great to have you here. So let's dive right into chatting about yin yoga. Um, I think the term yin yoga will be new to some of my listeners. It's Y-I-N. And I would love it if you could give folks an idea of what yin yoga looks like, how it might be different than, you know, the yoga they're used to seeing in the gym or in the magazines or something 
some other places where we see yoga. Sure. Um, so the word yin is half of uh, a name of both a philosophical concept, but also a symbol. And some of you have probably seen the symbol on a surfboard or a tattoo somewhere. It's where the one half of it is the white teardrop and the other half is the black. So that's the yin yang. It's actually pronounced yang, even though it looks like it would be said yang symbol. And um, some people call it the Tai Chi symbol, but it's actually a yin yang <laughs> symbol. And this is a Taoist concept. Um, so Taoism originates in China. And I won't get into that whole philosophy um, because that could be a whole podcast on its own. But that's sort of part of the roots of yin yoga. And then the other part of it is, so the, the guy who kind of made yin yoga what it is, his name is Paul Gurley. He's my teacher. He learned some of his yin yoga from a martial artist named Polly Zink, who used to hold classes in his garage before martial arts. He would do this yin yoga part and then he would do martial arts. And so my teacher was already a very experienced um, Hatha yoga teacher. So the yoga that most people might know of um, and started studying with Polly. And then what he did is he took all of the stuff that he learned from Polly, um, which I'll describe what the practice is like in a moment and merge that with his already yoga teacher um, experience and the things that he was doing. And of course that informed and changed the way that he was teaching. And for a couple of years, they actually called it Taoist yoga, but then him and his, one of his senior students, Sarah Powers realized that actually they were only doing part of that equation. So they changed it to yin yoga. So yin as a concept is more inward, quiet, um, reflective, we're introverted as a practice. And yang forms of yoga tend to be the opposite of that. They tend to be more active, more bright, more extroverted, kind of more focused on, there's more focus on like the room around you because you have need to know where you're stepping your mm -hmm. foot, for example. Whereas um, yin yoga is more about introception, more about going inward. How it's practiced is floor-based postures. Um, we do uh, about 50 to 60%, I say, of the most that you could do in a shape. Now, other yin teachers will probably say 70%, but I'm a yoga therapist, so I, I've shifted that slightly. So we basically come into the shape. We find that 50 to 60% zone where it's like, oh, okay, I'm feeling this, but I'm not overwhelmed or white knuckling it or holding my breath. And then we find relative stillness. Now the stillness is relative because of course you might need to grab a prop or shift where your hand is to get more comfortable, but it's not a moving form of yoga. So it's not like other forms of yoga where you're moving in and out of things, you're coming into the shape and then you're just sort of planting yourself there. And then the holds are a bit longer as well. So anywhere from about two and a half to five minutes, I would say is a good guideline for like a mixed level yin class experienced yin folks may hold for longer than five minutes, but generally speaking, that's kind of where we go. So how it looks different as a practitioner is you're going to be on the floor. You're going to be coming into the shape and finding that 50 to 60% zone. What in yin circles, we often call the Goldilocks moment, mm -hmm. not too much, not too little. Then you're going to hang out there in relative stillness for anywhere from two and a half to five minutes. So that's sort of the like nuts and bolts of the practice. The, the differences as far as like the felt sense of the practice. 
in that style of practice, because of the stillness, the time and the moderation, we're getting into different tissues than we would in a movement-based practice, specifically deep fascia and large bands of connective tissue. Now you can't actually with fascia sort of separate deep fascia from superficial fascia. It doesn't really work that way. We can't split these apart, but mm -hmm. for simplicity's sake, there are these areas of fascia. And if people are listening and they don't know what fascia is, one way to think of it is sort of like the saran wrap around your muscles. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the, and the uh, connective tissue that connects your joints and your bones together. And when we spend time in yin, it, for those longer holds and the moderation and the stillness really gets into that. And that can have a really unique feeling in the body. So when you come out of a yin shape, it's not at all unusual to feel like you kind of want to moan and groan and move slowly. Like your limbs maybe aren't really attached in the same way, <laughs> feeling a bit vulnerable, you know, that's all normal and it's part of the process. And this is the felt sense of releasing the deep fascia. And so we do that. We just take our time. We move slowly. We take frequent rests as well between shapes, either very small rests, say between the right side and the left side. Just notice if we've done several smaller yin poses back to back, we might take a full minute rest. Or if we've done a longer held pose, we take a full minute rest. And these rests are essential, in my opinion, to the yin practice, because that gives us the opportunity to one, feel like our familiar self again, before we ask our body to do something else. Two, to embrace that little space between no longer and not yet, which for most of us is challenging because we like to go from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. So give, this gives us this opportunity for this sort of sacred pause. And it also gives us an opportunity to then like go into our body and, and notice what it is that the practice is doing. When we move more quickly from pose to pose, it's really hard to kind of notice what's changed. Whereas mm -hmm. in a yin practice, you get that rest time to really just sort of notice how your body has shifted and changed. So that's sort of how it's practiced in a nutshell physically. And then in the mental emotional realm, yin is different also typically because the teacher isn't talking as much. So if I'm guiding you through some kind of a flow, even if it's a really gentle therapeutic flow, you know, even if it's something as simple as wrist circles, I'm going to be talking about like, how do we do these wrist circles? You're going to hear my voice a lot, but in a yin practice, I'm going to guide you a little bit. And then there's going to be a lot of quiet. And sometimes that is the hardest part for people, because if you're human, your mind is going to go through the thinking and planning and list writing and analyzing and ruminating and criticizing and storytelling and all the things that happens when we're still in quiet, totally normal, totally common. Um, every, just so you all know, every human has this experience. Your brain isn't especially squirrely while everyone else is completely <laughs> zened out. doesn't work that way. We all have this circus or soap opera going on in the mind. And that's one of the other benefits of practicing in is it gives us, hopefully a skillful teacher will give you um, some anchors that you can bring your mind to so that you're not just kind of like flailing, trying to figure this whole brain part out. Um, so I like to share some anchors for my students of ways that they can kind of gently harness their mind in a really soft way, um, just to create a bit of space between the thoughts. But to be clear, we're not trying to stop thinking because that's actually not possible. And so sometimes that's the hardest part of the practice for people is they realize 
my gosh, I didn't realize how busy my brain is because I don't sit still and quiet. Sort of similar to when someone starts a meditation practice that's not guided. If they're just sitting on their own, that's might be the first time they're like, whoa, what is all this going on in my brain? Has this been happening my whole life? <laughs> the answer is yes, it probably has. Um, the subject matter changes and shifts, but the brain is is busy. So that's sort of like what you can look at if you've never heard of yin, if you came to a class, like what you would experience. Um, it can be an especially great practice for anyone who can't move a lot, you know, whether it's injuries, mm. issues, you know, there's not, not everybody can do an active moving practice. It can also be really great for those that are kind of chronically tight. Like they've just, I know for myself, yeah. I mean, my hamstrings are genetically tight just based on how I'm built, but I mean, I did Hatha yoga for ever and my, I got very little extra space in those hamstrings. <laughs> and then when I started doing yin, all of a sudden that shifted. And that was because what I didn't know until I experienced it is that my hamstring muscle itself couldn't loosen or lengthen because the the bag or the saran wrap, the fascia around it was too tight. So I had to address that in order to give the hamstring a bit of space to like release. So it's really great for people like that. Um, or just for, I find it, it's equally great for really busy people because they really need it. And then that also makes it challenging because sometimes if we're really a busy person or what I like to say, a recovering A-type personality, which I would mm -hmm. include myself in that club. Um, sometimes we can think that we always need to be like, doing air quotes for those of you who are listening, doing something, right? We always need yeah. to be doing something. So it can be challenging in that way, but also so rewarding. So that's a bit about like how it's different. Yeah. Thanks for that. Um, you and I are both yoga therapists. And so when you're teaching yin yoga, it usually, I believe is from like a therapeutic approach. Um, if someone just went, you know, to the yin yoga class at their gym, if assuming their gym had one, um, what, how would that be different than, than the way you practice or teach yin yoga? Mm -hmm. So a few things. Um, and I remember when I was going through my yoga therapy training, cause I was already yin certified and been teaching it and had fallen in love with this practice and started learning about trauma and trauma informed yoga and actually had like a little for about a month crisis of faith about like, mm -hmm. am I going to be able to teach in a trauma informed way and still teach yin? And what I realized is that, yes, I can teach in a trauma informed way and teach yin. I can't treat, teach a trauma sensitive yin practice. And for those of you who are listening, we're like, what's the difference? Sounds like splitting hairs. Um, tr the term trauma sensitive is sensitive has actually been trademarked. And so it has a very specific, like sort of checklist of things. And one of them is you know, like the still and quiet part doesn't happen. So, um, so some of the things that shifted when I started looking at like, okay, how can I be in love with yin, teach yin, keep offering this and still be a yoga therapist. And the first thing that shifted was my language. So in my training, we were taught words for things that either could be potentially triggering for some communities, but also just for me, didn't feel like it was actually accurate to what I was experiencing. So words, for example, like most yin teachers you'll hear saying, 
the target area for this pose mm. is. I don't like using the word target. I don't think that targets are something I want to aim at in a yoga class. There's not a good reference for me. So I always say the intended area mm-hmm. for one, because I just feel like that language less is less warlike for number one, less violent imagery, but also um, more accurate because I might intend for you to Mm. feel something in the upper part of your hip and butt area, but you might feel it in the lower part, or maybe you don't feel it there. Maybe you feel it in your hamstring and that's Mm -hmm. all fine and welcome. So I changed that language. I changed um, most yin teachers will say, come to 70% of your maximum. And what I found is that either for people that have injuries or for people like myself that are recovering A-type personalities, that's not a good gauge because those who tend to overdo when you say 70% are actually doing a hundred and those who are injured might be putting themselves into positions thinking they need to be in that 70% and then thereby not having a good experience in the class. Um, So I changed it to 50 to 60%. Um, I feel like that's a good gauge, a good range. Um, you know, not doing so little that you're just kind of napping because that's restorative yoga, which is wonderful, but different. Um, and not doing so much that you're white knuckling it and furrowing your eyebrows and holding your breath. Like we want to find what the Buddha might've called the, the middle way there between I'm aware of my body and things are happening, but I'm not pushing myself to the point where this is becoming unpleasant or, um, not sustainable. So that shifted. Um, also use of props and accessibility. So although my teacher, Paul was always open to us using props in whatever way we wanted, he's by no means a, not a no prop guy, but they weren't demonstrated Mm -hmm. in my practice. So we, as teachers would go to the training, knowing our own bodies with our suitcase full of props and we would use them but we weren't taught how to use them or how you might use them to modify poses for people with an injury or who are just tight in an area or just to be able to get people more comfortable. Because if you're going to hold something for two and a half to five minutes, you need to get comfortable enough there to just let gravity have you and kind of sink into it. Um, So that's a big focus for me. I use a lot of props um, when needed. They're not always needed, but often they are. Um, And so I would say keeping things accessible um, to like the average bear out there as opposed to it being all bendy pretzel yoga. Like when you look at most of the yin books, there's a couple exceptions now that are finally starting to come out, but they'll usually throw in like one prop. And that's like, you know, if you were to look at that, you'd think, well, I can't do this. Um, but when you can use the tools of the props, then it makes settling into these shapes, um, much more doable. So that's kind of a bit of an overview of of how it shifted. The other thing is that when I teach my yin, my primary concern is actually the the client's nervous system. Mm. That isn't always the case in a more uh, traditional yin class. In fact, the teacher might not even really have a deep understanding of, of the nervous system and how can we work with this? And, you know, so I start all of my classes with um, a guided experience while they're in constructive rest so that they actually start to get into that parasympathetic or the relaxation response before we're even making funny shapes with our bodies. Um, So that was a big shift as well in my teaching when I became a yoga therapist, it became really clear that, and this is in all of my classes, but of course I added it to my yin as well, that like the nervous system actually for me is the priority, especially in the last few years. I mean, you know, at the time of this recording, we're 
I don't know, are we post COVID? It seems like it's hard to even say. Um, and so even people that maybe were fairly regulated have been pretty unregulated for the last few years. So big focus on the nervous system. Um, what else is different? Language, props, accessibility, mm -hmm. nervous system. I feel like I'm missing something. I mean, I would say when I'm teaching a public class versus a Zoom, I'm a lot more aware of the space and me moving around in the space. Mm. So before I became a yoga therapist, it never occurred to me that if I was going to leave my mat, that I, for example, should tell people that I'm leaving my mat and where I'm going and what I'm doing. That just never occurred to me. And so, you know, that has crept into all of my classes, but I mean, I really specialize in yin, so I mostly talk about that. Um, and so, you know, kind of that sort of, I've never done, I've never been a big hands-on adjust or assist person. And in fact, you don't offer those in yin. Um, we don't go around putting our hands on people, trying to put people deeper into the poses because they need to figure that out for themselves. That's part of the yin journey is to be able to drop in and go, what am I experiencing? How much am I experiencing this? How could I make myself more comfortable? So it's not sort of an outside in approach. It's like an inside out approach. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say that's probably generally how, what I offer in yin might be different than like the average yin drop in class. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Welcome. <laughs> um, okay. So I want to talk a tiny bit about yin and traditional Chinese medicine. I think it's so interesting that, that yin has this potentially yin has this TCM component. I feel like not everyone, not all of the teachers have, um, as much education around it as you do. Um, so I would love, love to hear about that connection. Mm -hmm. So TCM or traditional Chinese medicine, um, it actually has the same roots as Taoism. They both come from China. So when you're saying traditional Chinese medicine and Taoism, it's, it's kind of like same, same, but different. Mm -hmm. And they have a very unique, um, perspective on the world that is a bit different than in the Indian tradition. So a couple of the key differences is, for example, in a Taoist view or a Chinese medicine view, it's an earth-based or a naturalist tradition. What I mean by that is um, there's a lot of more emphasis on um, staying earthly, whereas in Indian traditions, there's a lot of a focus on kind of moving up and out, especially with chakra work, you know, eventually transcending the body mm -hmm. as kind of the, I'm doing air quotes, eventual goal. Most, of course, students don't even know that that's the kind of the origins of yoga, right? But, um, but it, you know... The idea of transcending your body. Whereas in, in Taoist and Chinese medicine, we're actually worried about more concerned with keeping and maintaining the longevity and the health of the body. So it might sound like splitting hairs, but it, it does change the focus when philosophically you're looking at how do we maintain and nourish the health and the longevity of this body, as opposed to trying to spend time transcending the body. Mm. So some of the differences, for example, are in the elements. So in the Indian tradition, they have ether and air in Ayurveda. In TCM, we don't have ether or air because oh. again, it's all about the nature and the earth. So we have um, fire, we have yeah. water, we have earth, we have metal, and we have wood as the elements. Mm -hmm. And each of the seasons is connected to one of those elements. Each of our organs and meridian systems are connected to those elements. 
there's um, nutrition connected to those elements. There's times of day connected to those elements. So it really is a very like holistic form of um, ancient medicine. So, you know, if someone's had acupuncture, for example, then they're, they're taking all of these things into account when they're doing your consultation and when they're diagnosing you. Um, and so I look at yin from that framework. Not everybody does that's a yin teacher, nor should they. Because if they haven't studied Chinese medicine in depth, they shouldn't be trying to, I find sometimes as yoga teachers, we get really excited and nerdy about something. And then it just enters every class that we ever teach, even though we don't actually have a depth of understanding. Mm -hmm. And so what we're saying might actually not be accurate. It might be sort of like a really surface level understanding. Um, and when you can throw these things out, you know, like I know probably every yoga teacher can relate to their first yoga teacher. When you learned about chakras, then you were just analyzing everyone that, you know, and like, right. Oh, their heart chakras, you know? So it's that kind of thing. Like there's that phrase, a little bit of information can be a dangerous thing. So because I had experienced an immense amount of healing from Chinese medicine to the point where like I had I actually had chronic fatigue, but couldn't get the doctors to diagnose that. Like they just kept running tests and telling me I was like within the range of normal, whatever that means. Um, and yeah, I was like, I'm not normal. I'm usually like an energizing bunny and I'm exhausted and I can't get out of bed. So like, this is not normal. And it wasn't until I went to a Chinese medicine doctor, of course they don't use the language. I mean, she translated it, but they use different diagnosis terms Yeah, that she actually looked at all of my symptomology and said, oh, well, according to Chinese medicine, this is all connected. And it's like, chi deplete, like there was a very in-depth and she's like, or in layman's terms, chronic fatigue. And I was like, light bulb. So then I was able to alter my life and take some herbs and some supplements and like really nourish myself to begin to come back from that. But be before that with Western medicine, I just couldn't get any information. So I like, I didn't have anywhere to go with it. So that sparked sort of my really love and curiosity about Chinese medicine, that there was this miraculous person who I went to see with needles, who asked me some questions, actually told me what was going on, put some needles in my body. I left feeling like I was floating on clouds and was like, what is this medicine? This is amazing. <laughs> so that's kind of what started my love for it. And, and then as I was studying yin yoga, you know, I kept thinking about yin and Young, and we get some of that in our yin training, but it's not a Chinese medicine program. So they don't dive deep. And even with the meridians, it's, it's very surface because it's a shorter training. And I really felt like this system kept pulling me because, you know, I had experienced so much healing from it. I wanted to understand it. And so when I moved to Victoria from Calgary, Alberta, which is where I'm from, I moved to go back to school. And one of the things that I did is I entered the Chinese medicine program. I initially was going to become a Chinese medicine doctor. That was my plan. We all know what they say about the best laid plans. <laughs> uh, it turns out about two and a half to three years in, I realized that although I love the medicine, I love the diagnosis. I love the philosophy. I believed in it. I actually didn't want to put needles in people. Mm. It wasn't scary to me or gross or anything. I just, when I did it, I was kind of left with, Meh. And since I had already been a long-term uh, yoga teacher and had been teaching therapeutically, really now that looking back, even before I became a yoga therapist, yeah, um, it became really clear that like, I wouldn't want to spend many more years, many more dollars and intense board exams for something that left me with, meh. 
Yeah. So <laughs> I, um, you know, stopped the Chinese medicine program about three years in and then finished my yoga therapy certification. And so the classes that I teach and the teacher training that I run are a blend of my yoga therapy training, my 500 hours of yin training with Paul Grilly and this Chinese medicine component as well. So we're going to get all the nervous system stuff and the trauma informed stuff and the yin shapes all well supported with props, but we're also, I'm also going to work seasonally. Um, for example, something that can come up really commonly in my classes, one of my students will say I'm on my moon cycle this week. Well, that gives me a clue as to like maybe what shapes I might want to include based on my Chinese medicine theory, not just based on like, like what would feel good for you, which is always important. Um, but, you know, when I have an understanding that like anytime we're looking at something menstrual, we want to think about the liver, then it's like I can make suggestions to that person. You know, I can say so-and-so, you might want to try it this way um, this week. Um, so that's kind of how it's all, how I learned it all and how it's all being encompassed. Um, and, you know, I really love um, the Indian styles of yoga. And I think that Ayurveda is is a beautiful medicine. I've studied it, not crazy in depth, but I don't know, like a couple hundred hours of yeah. Ayurveda. Because at one point I was like, okay, there's TCM, there's traditional medicine, there's Ayurveda, there's overlap, but there's also some really key differences. Like I was feeling quite pulled. And so I did do a lot more Ayurveda study just so that I could be sure that actually I was choosing Chinese medicine because it truly resonated for me more. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that's, that's what, that's what the case was for me. Yeah. So I incorporated in my classes. I do also workshops once a season, I'll do a more in-depth workshop on that season and kind of from a Chinese medicine perspective, but even just in my weekly zoom classes, you know, if it's summer, I'm going to focus, we're always going to do a full body practice with an emphasis on back health. Cause that's something that I love to do, but we're, I'm going to, you know, put in more pieces for, for that season. Um, as we mm -hmm. go through our registered semesters, it's like, this is definitely going to right now, for example, it just started on Sunday. We're going to do, cause we're at the time of recording it's summer. Um, we're doing a lot of the, the fire meridian stuff because that's the, it's the element for summer and the season. So mm -hmm. I bring all of that into my classes as well. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for that explanation. I didn't realize that is what, um, I didn't realize you had intended perhaps to go into Chinese medicine. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's cool. I love that. I love that combination of, um, of things and it just, it's so unique, the, the specialty you're bringing to that. So you mentioned back health and that was, um, the last thing I wanted to ask you about, um, so many people, so many people come to yoga because they have back pain and someone mm -hmm. has told them that yoga would be good for it. And so I think therapeutic yin yoga has a really special place in helping back pain and with spinal health. And I thought maybe you just tell us a little bit about how you work with back pain and how yin, yin helps with that. Yeah. So I actually started working with back pain many, many years before I even became a yoga therapist. The niche just kind of fell in my lap and I had done mentorship in my first teacher training with someone who specialized in back pain. I've had back pain my whole life. Um, I have, I now know, I only just found this out a couple of years ago that the reason I always feel a little bit off is because actually one side of my um, L5 is actually slightly fused. 
to my sacrum on oh. one side. I only found that out because I, I fell and injured my back and they x-rayed me and were like, oh, by the way, did you know this? And I was like, this explains everything. <laughs> um, so I've been working in this arena for many, many years. And one of the things that always kind of makes me happy, but also nervous is when doctors, chiropractors, physiotherapists recommend yoga for back pain to their students without giving them any more specifics than that. Right. But just saying yoga might help because if someone, for example, something that's actually quite common. So if you're listening to this and you have this in your body, you are not, um, you're not unusual. It's actually, unfortunately, quite common. Something as simple as like bulging discs, for example, and somebody mm-hmm. might be like, how is that simple? It, it is actually, it's quite common. Um, so for example, if you have somebody that has bulging discs and now they're at the point where they've seen their chiropractor and their physio enough that they're ready to kind of be active again and start doing more practices. And if you just say to them, go to yoga and they go to a style of yoga where there's a lot of repeated forward bending with a rounded back, worst thing they could possibly do. Hmm. So I I love that people are referring yoga for back pain. I love that people are coming from it, but I also just want to say, make sure that wherever you're going and whoever you're seeing actually understands what's going on with your body. Because that's way beyond like the average yoga teacher training. So that I would just want to plant that seed. The other seed I'd like to plant is that I'm going to speak about back care in umbrella terms, in general sweeping terms here. (laughs) What I say may or may not be the case for your individual situation, because I, dear listener, I do not know you. We have not met yet. (laughs) I don't know what's going on with your particular back. So some of what I say might be totally accurate and some of it might be the opposite, depending on what conditions you have with your spine. But generally speaking, we can say that a lot of people, even those who don't work at desks, spend too much time sitting in chairs. And what happens when we do this is that some of the muscles on the front of our body, particularly like, I'll just speak in lay terms, like hip flexors. So the muscles that connect your pelvis to your thighs, those shorten because you're sitting at a chair and they shorten for every hour that you spend sitting in a chair. Typically, we do not use our muscles to sit up straight. And so those muscles can become, um, a chronically tight, but also weak. We'll talk about the tight more since we're talking about yin. So I always say that people are generally speaking in some sort of a forward rounding or forward folding or forward bending posture for most of their day. If they're sitting at a desk, unless they're really keenly aware, they're (laughs) definitely in this sort of forward folding posture when they're doing their dishes, when they're tidying up the house, when they're in their car, when they're gardening, there's a lot of bending forward, rounding forward, stooping forward. And our spine is actually meant to move in way more ways than that. It's meant to bend forward, yes, to bend back, yes, to twist and to bend laterally. So bending from side to side. And if we don't do these other movements on a regular basis, then what happens is the muscles start to tighten and then that restricts the movement and then the fascia so the wrapping around the muscle starts to tighten that thereby restricting those movements even more and so what happens is people are not actually using the full range of motion in their spine because the muscles and the fascia around them have become so tight from this over you know over forward rounding or sitting posture that we all do um that then that can then start to affect the health of your spine itself. So if your spine isn't able to move 
comfortably through its range of motion. And all of our spines are different as far as what your range of motion is versus mine based on our bones, right? So it's all different for each of us. But if you're not moving your spine through its range of motion in a mindful way regularly, then these areas start to tighten up that restricts the movement of the spine that can result in uh, even disc degeneration and other problems with, with disc stuff. And so um, I tend to work with people that there's kind of two general groups and there's, there's add-ons from there. Of course, like I said, I won't talk about all the spine conditions. Mm -hmm. That could be a whole episode, but generally speaking, most of the people that I work with have this sort of always kind of sore tight feeling because of sitting all the time. And mm -hmm. so we work a lot with that. And then I also have a large percentage of people that come to me from having had, for example, bulging discs, um, you know, they're at the point where they've been given the go ahead to continue on with their life. And they're looking for a way to make sure that they're supporting the health of their spine. Um, and so yin is really unique in spine health in that when you have these really chronically tight areas, yin helps to get into those. I also think that movement in particularly, um, you know, like spine aware, aware movement is, is crucial. Um, you know, because again, we are so sedentary. So I'm certainly not saying that like you can fix all your spine problems with yin yoga, because I think there are, there are strengthening things that you need to do. And there's a whole body awareness. And like, so I think that there's, a, and I do that as well. Yeah. So there's a movement form of yoga for spine health, but how yin is kind of unique is that if you do have, which a lot of my students do this sort of chronic tightness, almost like you're kind of like permanently in a little ball because that's how yeah. you sit all the time. Um, that often can't really be addressed in a movement style of yoga. Movement styles of yoga are really great for creating strength, for creating blood flow, circulation, awareness, um, proprioception, like knowing where your body is in space. But movement forms of yoga aren't really good at dealing with deep fascia. And that's sort of where yin's superpowers are for your spine. So if you are really chronically tight and sore because you've spent so many years sitting in these postures, slowly working in a yin way with your deep fascia allows the fascia to start to loosen. Then the muscles have that space to breathe because the wrapper around the muscle isn't like constricting it. And then that leads to, oh, now I can actually move my spine to whatever my range of motion is because the muscles and the saran wrap of the fascia aren't like holding me into this rigid position anymore. So that I think is one of the, the biggest benefits. The other one that is a little bit of an unsung hero sometimes with yin is the nervous system response. So again, in a trauma informed way, I can't say that yin is good for everyone's nervous system because no one can make those blanket statements, but fascia is a nervous system conductor. So it's very useful in that way working with the deep fascia, but also um, in the sense that we're actually giving your body time and space and your mind and your spirit time and space to just be and to settle. And that can be hugely therapeutic. So I always think whenever we're looking at a, a condition of the body, we have to take into account the nervous system. Yeah. I can give you all the most magical things in the world to help you with your back. But if you are not feeling calm and centered, none of them will work. 
So that's why I always start with that. So we start with the nervous system and then we use these shapes to create space in the body where everything is locked up and frozen from years of not mm-hmm. moving. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. I will share. So just since you bring up the nervous system and yin, yin was actually one of the first types of yoga that I did on a regular basis. And, um, it for me was very profoundly healing, helping with my, with anxiety. And Mm -hmm. it was, um, I feel like Nick alluded to this. (laughs) Yin is not always comfortable in the way that like in restorative, we're trying to be comfortable and release and relax. (laughs) once you ramp it up, even to just 50%, sometimes, you know, there's some discomfort. And one of the things I learned was that I could be uncomfortable and survive. Yeah, I agree. I think um, they're now learning nothing wrong with therapy. Therapy's great, but they're now learning that being able to cultivate interoception and for those of you listeners who don't know what that word is, that again could be a whole podcast. Yeah. Um, but it's an awareness of what is happening inside of you, an ability to go inside, to see what's going on there, whether that's mentally, physically, emotionally, and to, to observe that. And yin is like, that is yin superpower other than the physical, because when you're in a shape for minutes at a time and you're feeling that sensation in your body, or maybe you're feeling the mental, emotional stuff, maybe you're bored. Maybe your mind is racing because you're like, are we going to do something else yet? Oh my God. Are we still here? How much longer? Yeah. You know, I often, I often tease my students and say that, you know, especially in the challenging poses, if your mind goes through this, how long are we going to be here? Why am I even, why am I so tight here? Why am I doing this pose? Nick is so mean. (laughs) Is this even good for my body? I'm not so sure this is good for my body. Are we there yet? You know, if all of that starts coming up, welcome to being human. Yeah. And so (laughs) yin gives us an opportunity to sit with whatever comes up. And let's just use anxiety since that was your example. There's two ways that we can, I'm going to speak broad strokes. There's many ways we can deal with anxiety, but here's two ways that us as civilians without help tend to deal with anxiety. We can dive into it and be like, oh, okay what is happening here, which is what I would say would be the yin approach, observing it, not in a, um, I really want to split the difference between the word um, detached and Mm. unattached. I don't Mm. think they mean the same thing. A lot of people will say these things teach you to be detached. We don't want to be detached from our body. We want to be unattached. The difference being detachment has this sort of like othering, cold, separate feeling, whereas unattached is, oh, I can observe there's some sensation going on in my right hip and butt area right now. And I can sit and observe it mm-hmm. without wanting it to go away, without thinking it should be different, without thinking that this isn't right. I can just go, oh, look at that. And so when we, in a yin practice, we learn to do that with our physical body. Then we start to learn to do that with our mind. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at that. Where's my mind gone? Okay. It's worrying about this again. I'm stuck on a thought loop about this again. So it really cultivates that sense of that witnessing consciousness, but again, not in a detached way, but in a sort of um, open and kind of welcoming way in a compassionate way, in a gentle way. 
I often use the reference of a two-year-old as, as how we should work with our own minds when we're in yoga. So for example, if you're walking down the street with a toddler and anyone who's done this recently, say it's a spring or summer day, you have a small person, you're holding their hand, you are not going to get far because there's, oh my gosh, a rock and a flower and a caterpillar and a bee. And did you see this? And there's all the things, right? They're quite quickly going to be looking at stuff on the ground, picking things up. Like you're not going anywhere. (laughs) There's two ways you could deal with that toddler, right? You could yank them by the hand and say, hurry up. What's wrong with you? Come on, let's go. Right. Hopefully most of us would not do that. Or we can just go, oh, look, look at that. That is a cool rock. (laughs) Nice find. Okay. Come on. Let's continue. (laughs) So this is the way I think of how we want to approach our mind when we're in a yin practice or a meditation practice for that matter. You are going to be anxious. If you are a person with anxiety and you come to yoga, you bring it with you. You don't leave it at the door, but you can learn about it. You can learn to work with it. And, and because of the nervous system downregulation also that happens in yin, I just feel like it, it's, It's slightly different in restorative that way, because in restorative, you definitely get that whole nervous system component, probably in in actually in quite a different way than in yin, but you don't necessarily get the conscious tools that the teacher's giving you of like, oh, hey, you can observe this, you know? Um, I remember not that long ago, actually, I did have a student come in and I always do a check-in for my classes, even public drop-in classes a word or phrase to summarize how you are today. It can be mentally, emotionally, physically, like it can be hamstrings. It can be anxious. It can be tired, whatever. And always they have the right to pass as well. Um, And I had a woman say, I'm really anxious right now. Like so anxious. I'm not sure I'm going to make it through this class. Great information for me, because what I realized through her sharing that is that she thinks she shouldn't be anxious while doing yoga. Yeah. Right. And so if I can address that, which I always do, if there's anyone new to you, and I always address the mental component because it's challenging. When I can address that, by the way, this thought looping, this thinking, this planning, this obsessing, this is human. Like, don't expect not to have this or you will be disappointed. We all have this. Different subject matter. Some days are harder than others, but this is present. And here's what you can do with your mind while you're here. And this is happening. And I think that's really important. I don't think, again, I think that's part of my role as a yoga therapist is that I speak more to the mental component probably than you would get in the average yoga class. And I do that for two reasons. One, because I consider yin yoga a form of meditation. Mm -hmm. Each time you come into a shape, it's a two minute, three minute opportunity to stay present and to stay aware. Um, And I often joke that I think yin yoga is the gateway drug to meditation practice, because when you can practice it in these little bite-sized doses, then you're like, well, maybe I could sit for 15 minutes, Mm -hmm. you know? So um, that part of it is really important. And then also I would say that as a yoga therapist, when I'm normalizing this busyness of brain, people don't feel like it's just them. Yeah. Yeah. When I first started learning to meditate, I would go to a beginner meditation series, six week, eight week, whatever it was when I was living in Calgary, it'd be some temple usually that would offer it. And I would sign up for like the Tuesday for six weeks and I would go and I would sit and sure enough, going on right in my head. And I'd be like, okay, I must be doing this wrong. I'd open one eye and look and everyone else seems super chill. Okay. What am I doing? And so I would like fake it. Essentially, I'd sit there and sit still and look like I was meditating, but like really drama always in the mind. 
And I did that repeatedly. Now, the reason I went to so many different temples and so many different classes is because I kept thinking that there must be a style that probably would work for me, air quotes, work for me. <laughs> um, because no one told me until my final teacher that when you sit down and you try to meditate, you're going to think and that's normal. Nobody said that to me. So I thought it was just me. I thought yeah. everyone else in the room was totally zenned out. And I was especially busy brained. And luckily I'm tenacious. So I just kept trying. Um, probably because I had this voice in my head that if I'm a yoga teacher, I should learn to meditate. That was probably <laughs> what it was. Um, and when I realized, oh my gosh, everybody here is faking it. Like everybody here looks cool from the outside, but they're all got stuff going on in their brain. I was like, oh, well, okay then. So that, you know, that was a big aha for me. And then the other aha around really making sure I mentioned the mind was actually when I did one of my first therapeutic and teacher trainings. I had a student come up to me after one of the teachers who was taking the training and say, thank you so much for telling us about the mind and the emotions in this practice. She said, I went to one yin class like a couple of years ago. I hated it. I was like triggered and crying through most of it. I wanted to leave. Like it was this horrible experience. And no one told me that that might come up and that that was normal and that that was okay. So that really planted the seed. I was like, huh, yes, we need to mention this in every single class to normalize this busy brain and this revved up nervous system that we have and the anxiety that is present in way more people than would like to admit it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome. So just to wrap up, um, I would love for you to share where folks can find you. I will say that info will be included in the show notes, as well as some links to podcast interviews uh, Nick has done in the past, especially if anyone kind of thought, hmm, this sounds a little bit like restorative yoga. She's got a whole whole episode where she, um, Nick digs into the difference in yin and restorative. So um, check those show notes and where can folks find you and what do you do online for people? Yeah. So if you are not a yoga teacher, if you are a student, I do host regular Zoom classes. I also have in-person classes if you happen to live in Victoria, British Columbia. Um, but I do regular Zoom classes and those work on a semester basis. So 12 weeks at a time, they're pre-registered, not drop in. In between, I usually do one kind of free sample class or mini workshop so that if you are on my email list and you haven't committed to the 12 weeks, weeks yet because you're a little bit nervous, you get a chance to join those and those are always free and try it out. Um, so the best way to find out about those classes, rather than just hitting my website and thinking, oh, I'll remember to come back to this because you won't, um, is to just go either to the top or the bottom of the page, enter your name and email, and then you'll get on the way to registration opening. So, you know, I do, I will have a fall semester coming um, of classes on Zoom. And on the way to that, you're also going to get other little nuggets from me. So I send out little video snippets or audios or things like that, that can be helpful for your practice. And then when registration opens for my programs and my classes, you'll know, because it won't be subtle. It'll say something really clear, like, you know, fall registration open, you know? <laughs> um, so that's for the kind of general public. Although teachers are always welcome to join my classes as well. And I love it when they do. 
And then for, if you're listening to this and you're a yoga teacher and you want either to study yin yoga or you've taken some yin training and you are like, oh, there was a lot that was missing, <laughs> um, which is common. I get, I would say in my training, 50% people brand new and 50% people that already have yin trainings, but want a deeper dive. Um, I also offer a, at the time of this recording, it's a 60 plus hour training that could all change. I'm right. feeling that, you know, a couple of years from now, it'll be like a hundred hours, but you know, um, for now it's 60 plus that's all done on zoom online live on zoom. And then they get access to the recordings for a year. Um, so if you're a teacher and that sounds intriguing, um, there'll be a link again in the show notes, basically when you go to nickdanu.com, so N Y K D A N U.com, my landing page has two buttons, one that says teachers, one that says students. So you can just click if you are a yoga student click there. If you're a teacher, click there. And then it kind of navigates you from there. I would say the same thing for teachers. If you are looking for a deeper dive and you want to find out when registration opens, make sure you hop on my email list. Same thing again, top of the picture, bottom of the page, and there will be a polite pop-up as well. Yes. Um, and then you'll get, you'll get things from me about yin yoga, sneak peeks into my training. Sometimes I'll share little segments of the training or I'm working on a podcast. So you'll get that. Um, and you also for teachers that are on my list, they get advanced registration notice and they also get an advanced registration discount that's good for like the first few people that doesn't get put out on social media. So that's okay. just for folks that are on the list. So if any of those sound good to you, please feel free to jump on and join my list. And of course, you can always contact me as well. There's a contact form there on my website. So if you have questions or thoughts, I'm happy to answer those as well. Excellent. And also follow Nick on Instagram. Uh I'm only on Instagram. You might be on Facebook too, but you provide a lot of cool uh, content on there as well. Yeah, I would say follow on Instagram. Although I would say um, many of us who are in business know that the algorithm changes all the time. So I may be posting a bunch of cool stuff that you never see because Instagram has not deemed it worthy to share with you. So the best way to stay in touch yes. is join the, join the email list because then you know you're going to get what I send you. But yes, if you want to do both, please. Um, I am on Facebook. Um, but I'm actually slowly closing my business page altogether and just going to use my, my uh, personal personal, mm -hmm. I'm going to do an air quotes now page for, <laughs> for networking and, and stuff yeah. like that on Facebook. It's, it's not a place I like to hang out. Um, I prefer Instagram, although, you know, that's become less and less of a place I like to hang out as well. So email is definitely best, but yes, if you're an Insta fan, please join me there. And that one's just at Nick Denu yoga. Perfect. Okay. Oh my gosh, Nick, thank you so much for coming on and chatting. I feel like we could do two or three more of these chats. Uh, <laughs> just so much, so much to talk about, so much to learn. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Friends, thank you so much for listening to Swimming and Singing. Links and contact information for me and my guest can be found in the show notes and on my website. This is the final episode of season two of Swimming and Singing. Expect to see Swimming and Singing back in your podcast feed in September with a new name. If you're a subscriber, you don't need to do anything. Just watch for Homecoming, the podcast in early September. Don't forget to get on the homecoming membership waitlist. We open up 
briefly on July 25th. Until next time, keep swimming and keep singing. <laughs>